0: A start On demand. On demand.
1: Stunning news from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers yesterday as Andrew Harris, star running back Andrew Harris, has been suspended for the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl after testing positive for a banned substance. So we've got all kinds of reaction from the team, and we're also going to speak to a steroid expert on the possibility of accidental ingestion of a banned substance thanks to contamination, because Harris says that's what happened. We're also going to talk about healthcare as a retired nurse says the healthcare overhaul is hurting patient care. And getting organized, as we get ready to go back to school, a lot of us need to get organized, but where do we begin? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and a vacationing Greg Mackling we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, August 27th podcast for The Start. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb.
2: <laughs> really took some time to load that page there.
1: Hey, nothing uh, draws attention more than a dramatic, dramatic pause. Dramatic pause. The wheel was turning. You ever been in a car and the, you've, you're flipping radio stations and then one of them is silent? Right. How long do you do stay on that station?
2: Mm, four seconds, maybe.
1: Sometimes I sit there for like a minute, two minutes. When's it coming back? Yeah. It, the, the silent. I need to. It, it draws me right in. I will
2: do that for television because it happens right. They go live to someone. Yeah. And they freeze. You know, it's a freeze frame, or it's glitchy, or it's just black air, and I'm like, ooh and I will stand there forever because I know that feeling on either end of being like, something's not working. The the panic you feel. So the Winnipeg Blue
1: Bombers, their superstar Andrew Harris is facing tough questions after a drug test found he had been caught with a performance-enhancing drug in his system. Global's Amber McGookin has more. Bomber star Andrew Harris struggling to find the words to
3: express his shock and disbelief after testing positive for a banned anabolic steroid.
4: It's been devastating. It's been, you know... It's been, hard to, it's been hard to focus on football and hard to hard to come in.
0: Harris has been slapped with a
1: two-game suspension after he says he took a men's energy supplement. He didn't say
3: which brand, but he claims the product was all-natural and he believes it was contaminated with a performance-enhancing drug.
4: Ten days between tests and having a very small trace, it, it kind of proves, it does prove that it wasn't intentional. If, if I took this supplement, if I took a one pill or... Um, was intentionally doing there would be more of a volume in, in my system.
1: His fans, devastated by the news. Shocked,
4: like, I don't think you'd do that.
0: I was a little disappointed. I was actually pretty shocked to hear it, but like they said, uh, it's possible that uh, some of the stuff he was taking might have been contaminated and he didn't even know about it. Other Bomber players are rallying around him.
5: It's an unfortunate thing, but uh, you know, I think that you know, he has a strong support system. I already told him that you know, I'm right there with him and, and whatever he needs. We have his back
6: 100%. We believe that it was an honest mistake. I'm, I mean, he has no reason to lie to us or you guys. So. We felt like we needed to come in and show that support and love.
3: This was Harris's only positive test in his career. The Bombers say he has been tested eight times since joining the team and three times this season already.
7: Amber Magookin, Global News.
2: So you'll remember it was just two weeks ago in the game against the BC Lions that Harris got a standing ovation when he moved into the the CFL's top 10 all-time rushing list. In that game, he also became the all-time leader among Canadian players in yards from scrimmage and was a contender to win most outstanding player in the CFL. As fans applauded, Harris already knew he had tested positive for the banned substance.
4: You know, that BC game, you know, the, the standing ovation and... You know, part of the reason why I got so emotional is because of this and knowing that this isn't you know this is buried deep in my stomach and it's it's something that took away from you know, something that was really great. And uh it was uh it was very difficult and it was, it was
1: Harris struggling to fight off tears as he was overwhelmed with emotion. So Harris is now going to miss two important football games, both of them against the club's arch-rival Saskatchewan Roughriders. He won't be playing in either of the Labor Day Classic this weekend, and he'll be out for the Banjo Bowl on September 7th. Also, don't forget quarterback Matt Nichols still on the sidelines. He's on the injured list for the next few games. Head coach Mike O'Shea says he's not worried about the lineup changes. I'm very confident in our depth. I'm very confident in our
8: guys and, and not just the depth on our team. Um, the
1: willingness of everybody on the team to, to step up for their teammates. Included in those weighing in on the Andrew Harris news, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 680 CJOB's Bob Irving, who says he doesn't think Harris would risk his legacy with performance-enhancing drugs.
6: In all these cases, people are going to have to make up their own mind on how they feel about this personally. Uh, I choose to believe, Andrew, and that he would not do this knowingly. It, it, You know, it has a chance to tarnish his legacy. And why he would risk that, I have no idea, and I don't believe he would.
1: So we'll have more on this throughout the morning, including at 7.37 for our regular Tuesday morning segment, Breakfast with the Bombers. And at 6.45, when we gather everybody up, we're going to just have a conversation about disappointment that we might... Have felt over the years with various athletes. Ben Johnson mm-hmm. comes to mind. That's probably I, the top I was saying
2: yesterday, and I'm by no means comparing these two situations. Ben Johnson knowingly took a substance. But the feeling you felt as a fan, having watched the triumph and then the failure that comes with uh, that positive drug test, right? And so that's just, you know, you're, you're human and you feel those emotions. We've talked a lot over the past two years about emergency room closures. Massive changes to our health care system and what's coming next. It's a complex shift in how we provide health care that's really pitted political parties against one another, unions against governments, staff against staff, and of course in the middle are the rest of us, the patients who are wondering if these changes are helping or hurting us. This week on CJOB, we're asking you what you think. Have you been to an ER recently or to urgent care or to a walk-in. I was at a walk-in yesterday, jammed with people, had me wondering if, if it's busier now than it might have been a year ago just because of some of these changes. Is that a good thing? And if you work in the healthcare system, what have your experiences been? That's where we're going to begin this morning with a nurse who spent 38 years at Seven Oaks Hospital. Last June, Cardeen Campbell retired, saying it became too hard to provide proper care to her patients. Uh,
9: certainly an increase increase in patient volume. Um, I know that there was spillover from some of the other facilities uh, when they couldn't handle the workload that was spilling on over to them. It, it's it's such a domino effect. Um, so our workload had increased greatly. You know, as nurses we're taught to be patient advocates and that's who I was there for. Um, but the other thing, it's really hard on morale. Um, you like to feel that you're doing a good job and at the end of the day, come home and feel proud of what you did. Um, But in such an atmosphere like that, you you most certainly don't.
1: Campbell says she was routinely told to push patients through the system and out the door more quickly than she felt was appropriate. She believes that put patient care at risk, and here's one of her examples.
9: I had an individual that I brought in with a condition called renal colic. Um, I had no sooner kind of started into the diagnostics and treatments of the individual and I was told that I could move this individual to the discharge lounge Um, and I surprised myself but the words that came out of my mouth it's not a chance um, because this patient was by no means ready to go to a discharge lounge but it seemed to be kind of anything and anything to move a patient through.
1: Campbell left Seven Oaks before it converted to an urgent care. The downgrading of the ERs at that hospital and Concordia just happened this summer. But she says there has been a change to the overall criteria for what's considered urgent care and that that's continuing to have an impact on the system.
9: Originally the criteria for an urgent care patient was they had to be ambulatory, they had to be alert and oriented, and they had to be somebody who could sit safely in the waiting room on their own And that criteria has changed now. Um, It can be the immobile, the debilitated, the elderly, the confused, um, that are now brought into an urgent care setting. The difficulty with receiving those type of patients is those are patients that will stay long-term within the, the urgent care setting and it kind of goes against the whole grain of urgent care because urgent care should be um, a patient that comes in, they're treated, and they're sent on their way. Uh, When they are debilitated and with more complicated medical issues, they tend to tie up the bed much longer and it delays the whole process, thereby going against the very grain of decreasing wait times.
2: So, we know a lot of promises have, of course, been made in this election when it comes to health care. The NDP, for example, they've said they're going to reverse some of the changes that the Conservatives put in place if they're elected. NDP leader Rob Canoe has said he would reopen the ERs at Concordia and Seven Oaks, but not Victoria. And then, of course, the Conservatives have pro- promised to invest more money into the system and just yesterday said it would hire 200 more nurses if re elected September 10th. So, the Tories have repeatedly said there are more nurses working now than they were before they were elected. Numbers shared by the NDP showed that might not be true. So once again, here we are asking, what is the truth and what are your experiences? We just shared some audio from a nurse. We're going to hear more from Brittany Greenslade at 745 about her conversation with that nurse and what her experiences were. But just now we're getting texts from listeners, Brett, about another opinion from someone in the healthcare system.
1: I retired from nursing last year after 35 years. It was partly because of the changes. They need to be done but I didn't want to go through the process of deleting and bumping that is driven by the union. They make it very adversarial. I work casual now and in complete control of my schedule and life. Is it tough going through the changes? Yep. Needs to be done. I listen to the promises of the Liberals and the NDP about how they want to go back and reverse the changes that have happened, and I shake my head. If they get elected, they will force healthcare workers to repeat the whole process again. How is that going to help the system? Good
2: question. I, I I'm not a I don't know if I really get the plan to reverse things because we're now in the midst of it and I'm a big believer in giving things time. The question I would have is how much time do you give before you have to say, okay, this isn't working or or we need to make different kinds of changes. But I, I what I really want to hear this morning is from anyone who's actually been to one of these urgent cares in the last six months. Not, you know, two years ago at the beginning. Uh, Not even just yesterday, because you know that might be too soon. But what have your experiences been on a repeat basis when you go to the urgent care? Is it faster than when it was an ER? Because I I don't know that. I haven't been.
1: I went to urgent care with somebody late last year. I think it was in the fall, and went to Victoria, and we were there for hours. And so uh, it was
2: urgent care then.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was urgent care, and we were there for hours. And uh, then when we then the when. The person I went with finally got in, uh, they learned that there were, there were tests that would needed needed to be done, but they wouldn't get the results for another two days or something like that. So we were there for a long time. Um, but, uh, I don't know what the standard is for urgent care and how they, you know, how they decide who goes where, but it was frustrating to have to sit there for hours. I mean, there were only a handful of people in the waiting room, so I didn't really get what the holdup was.
2: This week on CGOB, we're asking you what you think. So have you been to an ER recently, to an urgent care? Did you find that there was a long wait or was it an improved compared to maybe experiences of just a few months or years ago? And if you work in the healthcare system, what have your experiences been? That's where we begin this morning with a nurse who worked at Seven Oaks Hospital for 38 years. So she retired early last June and is now sharing her time there and some of her concerns with Global's Brittany Greenslade, who joins us now. Good morning, Brittany.
3: Good morning.
2: So tell us about this nurse. Did she retire earlier than she wanted to or was expected?
3: Yeah, she actually took an early retirement last June. Um, It was something that she says she didn't feel that she was able to provide the appropriate care was the term she used to her patients as they came in anymore. Um, we spoke for about an hour at her home, and Cardine said, you know, I felt like there was no privacy or dignity for the patients anymore was something that she'd said to us. Um, I know we've talked over the years a lot in other provinces, in our own provinces, about hallway medicine, hallway care. She says that's never really gone away, and that often... Patients were still being uh, treated in the triage room as opposed or the waiting room as opposed to being taken into a bed. So she said, you know, the the writing was on the wall for her. She started seeing these changes. She didn't feel that she was able to provide the level of care that she'd come to know and expect of herself for these patients, and, and it just became too much.
1: Did she give any examples of that, of not being able to provide the care to her own standard?
3: Yeah, and, and, you know, we do need to be careful about privacy. So that was something that she was really careful about. But she did speak uh, about a man that came in, and he had had kidney stones. And if you've ever had a kidney stone and a kidney infection, you know the pain that goes along with that. And she said no sooner had she started kind of going through the diagnostics and and the care and the treatment with him, and she was told from her higher-ups, you know, time to get him to the discharge line. And she said she even surprised herself herself by how forcefully she turned and said, absolutely not. It is not ready. He's not ready. He's not ready to be put in that discharge and you're putting his health at risk. And the one thing we heard from Cardine is that, you know, she's she's scrappy. She's a bit of a fighter. So for her, she felt the ability to stand up for herself and to stand up for her patients. And she said she fears for some of the newer nurses or ones who don't have that and the ability to, to really find their voice. She's scared for them to be able to move forward and speak up for their patients.
2: You know, it's such a big and complex issue. There's been so many changes. We had Misericordia closed, Victoria converted to an urgent care, and now Seven Oaks and Concordia downgraded to an urgent care as well, losing their ERs. And in the midst of all this, you're hearing all sorts of opinions, Brittany. We, we've had... Also, healthcare workers write in this morning to say the changes needed to happen, and so they're concerned that that mm-hmm. uh, it won't go through as planned. Where does she sit in the middle of this in terms of what she thinks needs to happen in terms of the decision makers? What's the next decision that she believes would work to help mitigate some of the problems she's seen?
3: Yeah, it was interesting because she actually had something that I hadn't heard from another healthcare worker uh, in the past. She actually believes that we need to go back to how things were, not necessarily with before the closures, but years before that, about getting rid of uh, getting rid of shared health, getting rid of the WRHA, was her suggestion. It's something that she said we need to bring power back to the boards. To come make those decisions about what needs to be done and then bring that to Manitoba Health. So I thought that was interesting. That was a idea I hadn't heard sparked out of this. Um, but one of the things that, that we heard from her as well was just how many nurses have left because of this. And regardless of the change, people that didn't know what was coming or, or didn't know if there was going to be a job for them. And maybe there was jobs for them, but they didn't want to sit around and wait to see.
2: Well, that's for sure part of the conversation just yesterday. You had the Conservatives promising to add 200 nursing jobs to the system, and then you had the NDP come out and say, well, we've lost far more than that. It's a big issue. The question being, is it a revolt? Are they leaving, right, leaving the profession? Mm-hmm. Or do we just need more because of all these changes? I know she spoke a little bit about also what she felt were changes to how patients were being processed at urgent care. Can you tell us a yeah. bit about that, Brittany?
3: Yeah, the one thing that she says that we've been focused so much on is wait times. And according to her, the wait times haven't gone down. We've just changed how we're assessing things. Um, we now have a category called subacute as opposed to acute care. And she says, so what we've just done is moved sicker patients into this lower level, this subacute level, and also that they're changing how people are being processed so you come in you might be triaged then you're taken in for blood work and then put back to the waiting room before you're moved in according to her that means you're officially being treated so that would move you through to a different processing line different queue, and that would adjust the actual wait time that we see now, of course, we reached out to the WRHA because these are, you know, we want to get some answers from them and, and hear what they have to say on these uh, these words and, and these thoughts that Cardine had. They, of course, said they could not speak. Either way, no comment because of the blackout of the election.
1: Global's Brittany Greenslade joining us live on CJOB. Brittany, thank you as always. Thanks. McGarry. And McNabb, Mackling's away. Jeff Braun's here. Cameron Poitras is here. Will Reimer is here in Master Control sitting in for... Jeff Forte, and we want to have a conversation sort of triggered by the news yesterday that Andrew Harris, Winnipeg Blue Bomber running back, has been suspended for two games after a positive test for a banned substance. So he says he didn't knowingly do it. He says he took a thought, what he thought was an all-natural performance enhancer, but it had a banned substance. He says it was contaminated, and uh, he has known about it for three weeks, and he's kind of had to bear that burden, and it's sucked and it's gonna suck for the team but that got me thinking about the the i remember the disappointment i felt when canada's olympic champion ben johnson who dominated the 100 yards was at 19 was it 88 or 92 when
2: was that 88
10: okay
1: and i say that
2: confidently but that can't be right 86
10: no 88 was olympics
2: yeah, yeah, that's when they had the Olympics the same year, right? So Calgary was 88, and then Ben Johnson was
10: in Seoul. In Seoul. That's right, it was Seoul. Yeah. That's right, that's where I
1: got confused, because I couldn't remember if that was before or after they separated the winter and summer games in from year to year. But I remember the disappointment for that, because I would have been in grade four or grade five, I think. So I was a kid, and I was happy with all the other kids that Johnson did well, and then, oh, he's a cheater. You would have. We were the same age.
2: Oh, yeah, I remember being in my friend Shauna Curry's basement, cheering them on. Him on to victory and just being so pumped and getting to school and and two days later there was that news and it was just like all these kids who had this hero. Uh, it was crushing. Yeah. So it was also my first time of no, I didn't know that that was a thing in terms of like I knew you could cheat. Obviously kids call each other cheaters, you're cheating all the time, but not with performance enhancing drugs or the possibility of that.
1: He also, by the way, I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, he, was the, he had an endorsement with, I think it was an Australian energy drink, drink called yeah. Cheetah. And, <laughs> because yeah. he's, he's fast because he's a cheetah. Oh, I get it. Yeah.
10: <laughs> Did he race a horse? Yes. Was oh,
1: that I, him?
2: I, I think so. And, he, and in that ad, it also had him... Was he Jimson, Probably. It, it also had him say, I'm not a cheetah. <laughs> <laughs> which was just brutal.
1: So uh, Jeff Ron, any disappointments related to athletes or celebrities or what have you?
10: Nothing really big. There were a few, like uh, the recent, all the Me Too stuff or whatever. I mean, there would be somebody where I wouldn't necessarily, I'd be bummed that I couldn't enjoy their movies anymore, but then it very quickly turned so well. Me being upset that I can't watch a Kevin Spacey movie is nothing compared to whatever his victims may have gone through. So it didn't really bother me that much as far as my own personal now disenjoyment of their movies is concerned. But but I also I don't know if we're just too, like, cold and cynical that it's like, yeah, well, I just, I just don't find any of it surprising. So it's harder to be really walloped by anything when you sort of expect people to be awful to men in, in general. So. Yeah, okay. What about you, Poitras?
0: I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, 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 I've disagreed or, you know, not thought in the same wavelength as many – you know, celebrities my entire life. And, you know, I, I, I've i been able to separate that. Like, there's some bands I really like, and I don't agree with a word that comes out of their mouth, but um, or some actors and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm able to still enjoy their movies or, you know, enjoy their music. So I, I, I don't know. I, I can separate the two. Um, so I've never really been... Like big time disappointed by like a, a big hero of mine or something mm. like that. Yeah, I've so.
10: been lucky too because like if it was Springsteen or Seinfeld or the Beastie Boys right. then I would be so, really thrown I, by I it. I remember
2: I was I, and I still am I was a huge Garth Brooks fan uh, back when I was in junior high and high yeah. school and then I remember watching an awards show and this is back before like I wasn't reading celebrity magazines obviously as a 14 year old and there's no Tiger Beat? There's no well there was Tiger Beat you're <laughs> right oh my gosh that's funny but 17? There, 17, Tiger Beat no and there was all also, obviously no internet to, like, go looking down the rabbit hole of what your star was like. And so I remember watching this awards show with Garth Brooks, and I was just looking it up now. Uh, it was 1989, so I was, like, 10 years old, 11 years old. And he got up on stage, and he was, like, apologizing to his wife for cheating on her. And he, like, struggled to get through this song, and they eventually reconciled. And I just remember thinking, like, <gasps> What like what like this guy who sings all these love songs and has these great messages like that are empowering and, and like energetic and all the rest and the fact that he was a cheater like a infant and a not important performance enhancing but just <laughs> cheated on his wife was really upsetting to me and it took me a long time to get past that and, and then it really tainted some of his songs I'd be like you don't know anything about love shut up Garth like <laughs> it was awful.
1: So, shut
10: up Garth is the name of his fourth
2: album, wasn't
1: yeah. it? <laughs> I remember in uh, 1991 when Magic Johnson, I got home from basketball practice, and my dad said, hey, Magic Johnson's having to retire. And I thought, what? Magic was my favorite basketball player. And I learned, so I was sad when I learned, oh my God, he's got HIV, he has to retire. But then when I learned how he got it, Mm -hmm. it's because he was cheating on his wife left, right, and center when he was out on the road. I thought, oh, so my favorite player isn't playing anymore, but he's also a scumbag, so that just that I remember the the disappointment of that was really crushing to just kind of look at this guy that I who I idolized and realized now I can't I can't look up to him anymore cuz he's clearly not a role model great Ta- basketball player but kind of a mm. jerk
2: Tiger Woods people feel the same way about Tiger Woods or some do yeah. or there's a time frame like sometimes I think there's a time frame to which you will suddenly like all things in life decide to forgive that person so
0: well, yeah tiger woods his career completely collapsed for like what it was a decade and when he had his resurgence at the masters at the pga championship back in uh you know i think 2016 it was or 2017 when he was back and there's people following him like he people don't have those feelings anymore his they they kind of dec- i guess people kind of decide they go okay it's been a, it's been 10 years he paid his dues well they're now ready to forgive him and that's sort of what happened with tiger
11: Will, anything jump to mind for you? Not really. I fall into the same camp as, like, Cam and Jeff here. Um, I never really had a sports hero or, like, some actor or something that I tried to model my behavior at. It was more of, like, a rolling, building wave of disappointment with, like... Boy,
2: <laughs> well, you guys with, are really like... sad and cynical this morning. <laughs> and you
11: guys are going to think this is so cute because I feel like it happened recently. Like, within the five, six, seven last years where I started paying attention to politics. And I realized everybody's just self-serving. They're, they're not really trying to help anybody, like too much, if anybody if they thought they wouldn't get caught, they'd do it, you know? that. That's kind of how I think.
1: Huh? I like that. that. That's a great that should be the tagline for uh, Decision 2019. A rolling wave of <laughs> disappointment.
10: <laughs> <laughs> if we think
1: we can get away with
10: it, we will.
1: <laughs> Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868 Have you ever been disappointed by
10: one of your idols?
1: Text Will's
2: us. too young to think that way.
10: No, he's not.
2: He is. He's a, Jeff, he, old, cynical. Fine. Our, my well, boss
10: told us me like fifteen years ago, Jeff, you're too young to be this cynical. But, <laughs> but now, I, now I think it, that was years ago. <laughs> Gary said that to me
0: just
2: like a, year, a yeah.
0: week and a half ago.
2: So when you were 25, basically. Yeah. yeah.
10: But it's funny
1: when you do it, Cam, because you get so angry. <laughs> Jeff's just curmudgeonly. <laughs> just want to quickly touch on our previous topic: disappointment in the likes of athletes or celebrities. You mentioned Garth Brooks. Loren. now getting a couple of great text messages with some uh, some obvious examples that we didn't think of.
2: Yeah, one listener writing in with just two words, Bill Cosby. That's a good one if you watched him growing up and, mm-hmm. then, and then hearing the allegations and the conviction against him. Uh, another one was uh, a listener writing to say, I was so disappointed when I found out that Lance Armstrong was stripped of his medals. From the Tour de France for cheating.
1: And then Eve says, anybody disappointed about the Dukes of Hazard when you find out how much of a racist message mm-hmm. it portrayed? So, yeah, that was something that kind of hit me later in life, like, oh, my God. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868. Now, as we get into uh, election season here in Canada, what's going on with Facebook, Loren?
2: All right, well, let's first start, start with the ads. You've already been inundated with them in Manitoba, political ads like this.
3: Seriously, who looks at healthcare and thinks, you know what? We need even less of this helping people stuff. Let's fire a bunch of nurses. Let's close a bunch of ERs. I mean, who does that? Brian Pallister, that's who.
2: That one was from the Provincial NDP. This one from the Tories.
3: Wab Canoe wants you to forget 17 years of NDP failure. Now he wants you to trust them again. Don't let Wab Canoe and the NDP take us back. Authorized by the Financial Officer, PC Party of Manitoba.
2: Okay, so with a tag like that, it's pretty obvious who is behind the ads. But sometimes it's not obvious. And over the years, Facebook has really come under fire for its role in allowing foreign and domestic advertisers to spread disinformation, exacerbate societal divisions, and impact outcomes of elections. It's why Facebook says it's launching new tools to make ads more transparent so you know who's behind the messaging. In fact, Facebook is available to speak to reporters today at 9.30 about how it's helping to change things for the Manitoba election. Our question, are those tools working?
1: So we're joined now live on 680 CJOB by Amy Morrison with the University of Waterloo to talk about this. Amy, good morning to you. Good morning. So first of all, Facebook's making these changes. Why are they launching these new tools?
7: Uh, They're launching these new tools because I think we've seen um, that the conjunction of emotion-based political advertisement um, and the viral nature of the way information spreads on social media has kind of created uh, a perfect storm of outrage generation um, that some companies have very successfully profited from, right? So a lot of the sort of wildest and most inaccurate uh, political advertising that we find on Facebook is not actually being written by political partisans or um, party operatives, but rather um, disinterested parties who are looking to make money off the advertising or foreign agents looking to disrupt uh, the natural uh, stream of election processes in Western-style democracies. And, so well, the, in the system has been kind of perverted there. Uh,
2: uh, what have those ads looked like in the past? And even now, Like, if if you're someone who's kind of scrolling through your social media face, feed or on Facebook, what might you be seeing that you don't realize is coming from an outside source like that?
7: Well, they will have pictures of people that you recognize, so pictures of candidates that are actually running. They will name issues that are pertinent to Canadians. Um, for example, immigration is a big one, refugees are a big one, jobs, health care. So it will hit you with something that you recognize, uh, you know, a, a person running in your riding or running nationally um, or a celebrity, and it will hit you with an issue that's likely to generate your interest, um, and it will be a little bit more um, aggressive than something you might see on TV or hear on the radio. So even those ads that you um, just exerted, um, you can hear in those ads that they're using tone of voice, and ridicule, and music, or scariness, or like the kind of deep voice to provoke emotional reactions in people. And I would say the kinds of advertising you see on social media platforms really amps up the emotional quality of the advertising, because that's what people are most likely to click on, or to share, or to respond to.
1: Are people, do you think, going to pay attention to these different tools that Facebook is launching?
7: It's, Hard to say because <laughs> research, uh, psychological and sociological research has shown that we like to think that we make our decisions based on rationality and and intellect, right? Like I've considered the pros and cons and I've made my decision because this meshes with my values. But it turns out that most of our seemingly rational decisions come after we've made up our minds emotionally about something. So these tools that Facebook is offering to us now presume that we're beginning from a stance of kind of perfect unemotional rationality, which isn't where most of us live. So the American academic, uh, Michael Caulfield, um, has a, um, a web book out about literacy, web literacy for, for students. And one of the main pieces of advice that he gives, I think, is really valuable for all of us, is to check your emotions. So if you react strongly with a feeling of disgust or, or pride or deep sadness or joy to a political advertisement, the first thing to do is to step back from your own emotion and ask yourself why it's generating such a strong response. And if you can put that emotion to the side for a moment and then do a little bit of fact-checking or background-checking or use then some of those tools... That Facebook is providing.
2: What are the tools then, Amy? Is it still putting the onus on the user to, fi- to, to go ahead and check to see if that ad's coming from an, a different source? or to Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, so how <laughs> does it work? I mean, if I have to be the one to do it, I might not be inclined to do it. So what difference will it make on... No, we're
7: absolutely not inclined to do it. And that's how these ads are so tricky is that they appeal to us at a kind of Um, beyond rational way. They hit us right in the emotions, like, you know, this sort of like QAnon conspiracy theories about, you know, a child sex rings in the basement of a pizza place, you know, like they're they're crazy, crazy theories. And we read those things like, my God, that's outrageous. I can't believe that. But we do believe it. And then we share it with everybody we know. And we're not in a kind of fact-checking mindset there. So the the tools that Facebook is offering us, um, they're trying to appear reasonable. Right? They're assuming we're all grown ups here and we're all gonna, you know, do fact check like we work for the New York Times. Um, but that's not actually how people respond to things in their feeds, right? So it puts a lot of responsibility on people to be able to control their own Um, emotional reactions to things. And these ads are deliberately designed to provoke a kind of non-rational, deep emotional response in us that will absolutely prevent us from thinking, hey, you know what, I'm not sure that's 100% true, (laughs) right? I'm going to go verify that. Or, you know, I I haven't read about this anywhere else, so maybe it's not correct, right? Or, hmm, this has a few misspelled words in it. I don't think this is a legitimate news article, Right. Um, We don't tend to think those ways when our emotions are, are deeply engaged.
1: Amy Morrison with the University of Waterloo, who is involved in new media studies there. Amy, thank you very much for the time. We always appreciate it.
7: Oh, you're welcome.
1: Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And bomb is indeed the word to use after the bombshell news that came out yesterday morning. And we mentioned this earlier, McNabb, but we had just wrapped up our show just before 10 o'clock yesterday morning. And I go sit down and open my email at a different computer outside the studio to see an email from the Bombers titled, Statement from Andrew Harris. So I started reading and shouted out, what? What? Running back Andrew Harris of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers has been suspended for two games following a positive drug test. According to the league, Harris tested positive for metandienone, which is a banned substance. Here's Harris.
4: I took a, I took a supplement, and uh, this is the supplement I think that is, you know, the one that's contaminated, uh, that stated that it was all natural ingredients, and um, obviously it wasn't. And, um, you know, I'm taking full responsibility for the fact that I did take that but uh you know from the from the ingredients listed on the label it uh it said all natural
1: and pardon me matandian on is the substance now cfl players testing positive for the first time face a two-game suspension harris 32 year old winnipeg native currently the cfl's rushing leader with 908 yards on 141 carries with three tds is going to miss both of winnipeg's upcoming games against the saskatchewan Rough Riders. Last night on the Bomber Coaches show with Bob Irving, head coach Michael Shea said he is totally in Harris's corner and says given Harris's testing history, it would make no sense for Harris to take such a performance enhancer.
5: I know Andrew and people would be wrong to question his integrity and, and uh, going out of his way to... Hold on, hold on. That was Matt Nichols.
1: The Matt Nichols clip is coming up next. Let's try this one. Is this Michael Shea? You know, I
5: absolutely
8: believe it was a, a contaminated supplement that he that he took and that certainly doesn't uh absolve him of of knowing that he that he took a a supplement that he didn't have checked properly, um knowing that it wasn't uh NSF certified. You know, every athlete understands that they have to that they're responsible for whatever they put in their body. That Andrew's been tested eight times since he's been a bomber and three times this year alone. And we're only halfway through the season, so there could have been tested again um going forward. So one of his comments in his statement today was, you know, he, he's not sure that it's completely random. So I think that solidifies the argument also that this was an, an accidental issue. Because if you if you really, it is a random process. But if you didn't believe it was random, if you thought you
1: were being targeted, you certainly wouldn't do it. That was Coach Mike O'Shea. Quarterback Matt Nichols now says he has no doubt Andrew Harris is innocent.
5: I know Andrew and people would be wrong to question his integrity and... and uh Going out of his way to purposefully do this, uh, you know, is not something that's in his character or anything that is questioned in our locker room. I think it's just an unfortunate thing that, you know, there's products that are contaminated and there's, uh, you know, I think more than anything, it's just an unfortunate situation. I think it would be wrong of anyone to question his integrity and and what kind of person he is and, um, you know, it's not something he would ever knowingly do or go of his way to do, I mean, it's not even, you know, it's not something he needs. It's an unfortunate thing, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, he has a strong support system. I already told him that, you know, I'm right there with him and, and whatever he needs and he's a strong dude. That's going to you know, be able to handle this and, and get past it and move forward.
2: If you caught any of the press conference yesterday, you would have noticed all the other teammates sitting in or supporting Harris, and offensive lineman Stanley Bryant was one of them, and he explained why he and at least a dozen teammates sat in on that news conference.
6: We felt it was important because we just know that that Andrew needed the support from us. Um, Like I say, he addressed the team yesterday, so I don't know if a lot of guys got a chance to, to sit and talk with him about the whole situation, but... We wanted him to show him just that we have, we have his back 100%. Um, we believe that it was an honest mistake. Um, I mean, he has no reason to lie to us or you guys, so we felt like we needed to come in and show that support and love and just just so he can know that we're here with him.
1: Here's more from Harris now who explains how this has weighed on him because he's known about it for a while.
4: This has been extremely hard. I mean, I've, I've known about this uh, for three weeks, found out before the Calgary game. And I mean... Uh, it's uh it's been devastating it's been you know it's been hard to it's hard been hard to focus on football and hard to hard to come in and you know winning games is you know after you win a game I'm thinking about what's going to happen in a couple days or possibly next week and you know how how it's going to affect my team and um you know the journey we're on and um i don't want to be a distraction i don't want to i would never want to put my team in jeopardy or my myself in jeopardy or my career and uh you know at this point now it's you know i, I got to face to face the music and and uh just try to move on from it yesterday i addressed the team and um that was the hardest part you know you go uh you put a lot of energy and effort and um, a lot of hours in with these guys and you know become family and you never want to let a family member down and you know. Um, when I addressed the the team, it was, you know, that was the that was the feeling in my stomach.
6: And finally,
1: Bob Irving spoke to O'Shea about Harris's legacy.
6: I know how much admiration you have for Andrew Harris. You've said this many times on this show since he came back to Winnipeg. Does this, not in your mind, but does this put a cloud over his head? And even if he's innocent, and I I choose to believe that he is, and so do many others, and so do I. Yeah it's i mean to me one of the unfortunate i guess byproducts of this for him is that all the good he's done in the eyes of some people it's tarnished now no doubt Do you see it that way
8: no doubt yeah i don't think it should be but i you know it's foolish not to think that there will be some people that absolutely will refuse to to believe him and and you know to me believe some of the facts that are staring us right in the face
6: will he get through this alright Yes, yeah,
8: he's got great support from his teammates. He's a strong, strong kid. Um, That's not to say this hasn't. (laughs) This has been a real gut punch for him, and and uh, um, you know I think he got through the hardest part a a few days ago when he addressed the team, and then, um, I mean, today was obviously tough, but he had great support from his teammates and.
1: CFL's current rushing leader once again is going to miss the annual Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl back-to-backs between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders and will be eligible to return to the field following Winnipeg's bye week when they face the Montreal Alouettes on September 21st. The timing of this really stinks heading into those all two important games, the Labor Day Classic.
2: Crucial part of the season and just two big games as far as Winnipegers are concerned, right? You want to go in with your top. We were already struggling going into this game without the news of Harris, and so this is a big blow. Just if, just if you care about the product on the field, let alone the man off the field. Yeah, it's the first and only positive test of Andrew Harris's career—a positive test result for a banned substance known as metandienone. Did I say that right? No, metandienone. Metandienone. Well, like they
1: can't just call it steroid or met. Yeah.
2: Andrew Harris says he takes natural health supplements and believes it may have been contaminated. He's basically saying, you know, it must have been ingested accidentally. And so we raised all sorts of questions about how this could happen, how common this might be. And Sean Arndt, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Exercise Science at the University of South Carolina, has some of those answers. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Let's start with this substance. So is this a a partial steroid or a known steroid that sometimes ends up in things? How does it work?
11: No, I mean it's a, so interestingly it's a very well known steroid. It was actually one of the first that we really saw show up in athletic performance and bodybuilding. This goes back to the 1950s. Um, so metandienone, otherwise known as mesendienone and also methandrostenolone, is actually more commonly known by Dynaball or D-ball uh, to the most athletes and bodybuilders that have used it. Um, you know, it's interesting because steroids are, you know, and performance enhancing drugs in general seem to be one of the unique areas in sport where it's guilty until proven innocent um, rather than the other way around. But that being said, when a positive drug test comes back like this, when it is an oral steroid, which Dynabol is, um, it is possible to ingest it through contaminated supplements and things like that. Now, granted, that's kind of an easy out if somebody was using it, it. Says, "Oh, it must have been in my supplements." Because, in all fairness, the the onus really falls on the athlete to be aware of what they're taking. And there are, you know, certifying agencies out there that certify supplements free of banned substances. And so that's just a, that's a that's an oversight on the part of the athlete, unfortunately.
2: Tell us a bit about sort that certification because I'm cu- we're curious how, you know, would this be listed like as an ingredient say I go out and buy a health sub- substance with this D-ball and that's how I'm going to call it because that's yeah. much easier to say. There you uh, go. Would this yeah. D-ball be listed on the ingredients uh, on some and not others? Like would I would I not know I'm ingesting it if it's not part of that recipe list so to speak?
11: Yeah, it would not be on the ingredients. It is illegal. Um, you know, actually, in the U.S., it's part of a Schedule 3 controlled substance, along with other anabolic androgenic steroids. So this is something, you know, it's it's interesting. The supplement industry, uh, nutritional supplements, tend to get a bad rap because of uh, some bad companies that that overshadow some of the really good ones. And what will happen is, you know, over the years, it, it's been <laughs> it's been well established and, you know, and rumors float considerably through the industry that there'll be some companies that will taint um, their their supplement with an active androgenic or anabolic steroid because it'll work. Right. And then in future batches, they start to take it out. Um, there's been court cases over this, actually. But the thing with certification is there's really there's in my opinion, there's three main certifying agencies. And what they do is it's a third party testing and they'll test batches or, or lines of supplements to look for any of these things that could show up on a bad substances control list. And it's usually um, World Anti-Doping Agency uh, list that they'll go by. Um, but you have probably one of the first ones to show up was NSF. Um, and you'll see a lot of NSF certified products that, that, that will be in clubhouses in Major League Baseball and the NFL. Uh, also, one of the really good ones, in my opinion, is Informed Sport, also known as Informed Choice. They have a little green check uh, or did. They've changed their logo a little bit. But if you, if you see either NSF or Informed Sport or Informed Choice on the actual product itself, Um, It has been third-party batch tested, and then there's also Banned Substances Control Group or BSCG, again, another reputable, well-established third-party testing uh, agency. The catch is it's on on the supplement company itself to basically pay for these services, so a lot of them don't want to pay for it. So you don't know whether there's a banned substance in there or not potentially, Um, you know, and I think that at the very least, while you can never be necessarily maybe 100 percent sure, I think, you know, even with the athletes I work with, um, if it doesn't have one of those three agencies behind it, uh, don't take it.
1: So this particular substance, he says that he was taking the supplement from a health store. He believes was contaminated with this uh, with D ball. So you're suggesting yep. that it is possible that uh, some particularly shady company was using this as one of its quiet ingredients.
11: Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, there have been a few studies that have been done fairly large scale where they'll take, you know, uh, hundreds uh, of different supplements and and test them. And, you know, in some cases with some of the studies, as much as 30 to 40 percent of the supplements came back with a substance that would cause you to fail. A drug test now that doesn't necessarily mean it was it was a performance enhancing drug but it would be something that was that was on the banned list um for for different organizations so so yeah it is it is possible and and you know like I said I think when I hear this and I hate to call it an excuse but because it kind of is it you really need to know better than to just take random Health for health store supplements. I mean, you, you got to be a little more educated as an athlete if you know you're being drug tested that often. And you know, even from an efficacy standpoint, it's not a bad idea. Um, but I think ultimately, when you start to look at at how this shapes up, something that is an oral, uh, an orally administered drug like it, like a D ball, you know, versus say an injectable testosterone there's more of a chance that that could be accidentally ingested versus oop. I slipped in a, you know, injected myself with a needle of testosterone. I don't know how that got there. Um, you know, but I think with, with tainting certain supplements, you know, and, and you know, D-Ball is still around. Um, it's not like it's vanished from the scene. I would say it's maybe a little more outdated. It's a, it's a fairly old steroid in terms of what, what we know. But in terms of being able to get access to it, it's also fairly potent. You know, so it is, it, from gram-for-gram gram standpoint, um, it, is, it is highly bioactive. Um, so there's notable strength and size gains that co- can go along with this. In what it sounded like, and again, I didn't have the actual levels in terms of the press release on this. They didn't say how, you know, what the quantities were in his system. But, you know, if it was really trace amounts, more than likely it wasn't having a ma- massive ergogenic, you know, performance effect. But again, yes, it is possible that it wound up in in something that he ingested uh, that was sold over the counter um, that wasn't supposed to be in there. You know, but again, that's you've got to be careful. Uh, and in some of these athletes that are drug tested a lot, especially at the Olympic and international levels, like you really have to know what you're putting in your body.
1: Sean M. Arndt is a professor and chair in the Department of Exercise Science at the University of South Carolina, joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Sean, thank you very much for this. You bet, guys. Have a good one. Would you consider yourself to be an organized person, Loren? No. Because I, I find that hard to believe because in the morning you, Greg and I just kind of get out of your way uh, when it comes to the lineup <laughs> of the show because you're the one who's plunking everything in and filling in all the holes. So you're very organized at work and you stay on top of your communication chains like no one I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. I like to think that there's a, like I certainly have a part of my brain that can be organized, but when it comes to sorting out anything that goes beyond the job in Mm -hmm. terms of the schedule for the kids or my husband's schedule for his work or, you know, things about when the next hockey practice is or what we promised we might or not do with friends on the weekend, I completely forget and don't have a good system in place.
1: Do you think that's because you pour so much energy into your job that when you go home, you're just kind of whatever?
2: I used to think, I certainly think there's a component of that. My mom has often made fun of me for, you know, spending 20 years in news and traveling to different parts of the world and talking about some really really serious subjects. And then she'll show up at my house and be like, are you reading an Us Weekly? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I am, because the Kardashians are my, like, way to just forget about all that serious stuff, right? You have so much serious stuff you're talking about. So I I think everybody has a place that they go to, like, decompress. But when it comes to being more organized, I want to be. I was telling you this morning, and we're going to talk about this throughout the day and again tomorrow, about how about a year ago, it was about a year ago now, I put out a Facebook post Saying, look, I know this is going to come to surprise to many of my friends, but I'm actually trying to be more organized. Would you please send me your ideas for what you do with the kids' school bags or lunches or meal planning, anything that's been helpful in your life? And I couldn't get over all the great information and tips people put in at first. So it started off with things like their Sunday Sunday meal planning. Or how they put up special hooks for their kids' backpacks so they'd have a special spot for their backpack to go and how they organize their kids' papers, right? Because they get so much paper that comes home with where do you put that or where do they put the mail? But then there were suggestions that came in like, oh, you know what we did in our house? We painted this entire wall so it was a chalkboard and you could write down all your lists and put all your information. It was like a, a wall of magnets and chalk to be more organized. And then the next person sent a picture of their newly revamped closet. That was, yeah, amazing. But I was like, ooh, I'm not going to build something tonight. Like I was just (laughs) looking for a couple tips. And so eventually there were so many ideas coming in that I just shut down and I didn't do any of them. Like I was so overwhelmed with the ideas to be more organized that I became less organized essentially.
1: Yeah, that happens to me too when I – am faced with uh an overwhelming number of choices an overwhelming amount i tend to just my eyes kind of glaze over and i just disappear and all motivation i had for whatever it was in the, and in this case organization I just don't bother because I, too, am, I'm kind of like you. I pour a lot of energy into my job. And then when I go home, I just kind of, I, I put everything always gets pushed to the back burner. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll mm-hmm. do it tomorrow. Meanwhile, this pile of papers is is growing and this pile of unfolded laundry or whatever is growing. And I'm, I'm about to enter a situation and just thinking about it is giving me anxiety where I'm getting a new apartment. I'm moving out this weekend and I got all this stuff. And my dad bought me a whole bunch of stuff yesterday kitchen stuff and assorted little household items, which is great and I'm super thankful, but i just thinking about where am I going to put all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I know when the time comes, I'm going to stand in the kitchen and I'm going to look at all these cabinets and I won't be able to decide where to put anything because I'll put it in this one and I'll say... Is this the best spot for this? Mm. I don't know. And i want going to whole, take it out.
2: There's whole systems for that, right? So over the next few days, I'd like to hear what people's systems are. And that sounds like a boring way of putting it. But pe- people have great tips for like, well, why wouldn't you put this next to your stove versus next to your dishwasher? Or when you have children who are at the young age, put the hooks at a certain level so they can reach them. Then they're responsible for their own stuff. Like there's all sorts of little tricks and I do want to hear them. I don't want to be overwhelmed, so take it one at a time. But I would love to know because I think there's a. it's a time of year for all of us where we kind of like kick back into a higher gear. And why not at least have a, one drawer, Brett, that's cleaner than the others?
1: Let us know at 204-780-6868. Uh, no music yet there, Will. Um, but uh, one of the things that also happens to me is... I I try to stay organized, like with this apartment situation that's happening. I'm going to try to be organized because usually what happens in any situation is if I don't stay on top of it, I let it get out of control. And here's an example, and I'll fall on the sword. I'll make a public confession here. I have in my work email, oh my God, I can't believe I have to say this out loud. I have 55,000 643 unread
2: unread
1: emails emails that I may have seen but didn't actually click on that's just unread
2: would drive me insane
1: and I've tried like I tried to chip away at it there was a time where I would go through it every day and blow out 100 200 emails 300 but even at that pace it would take me god I'd have to do the math on that I would assume a couple of years to blow out unless I just do a mass delete and there's a part of me that just wants to click on the first email and click on the bottom one and just blow it all out and start over. But I'm a digital hoarder and there's a lot of useful information tucked away in this inbox. You know, those times where you're like, who is that person we talked to? And then you just do a keyword search sure. and sometimes it pops up. So I'm reluctant to delete
2: things. I appreciate that. I don't. There's something about, though, on my email and on my phone, if I have one little red symbol or indicator that I have a message waiting, I can't handle it. Really? Like, I just, I'll either deal with it right then, or I delete it. Okay. Which is the opposite. It's probably not helpful. People are probably like, (laughs) so you just delete my messages? Well, if I can't deal with it at that moment, yes. (laughs) Then it's gone. (laughs)
1: Let us know at 204-780-6868. One person saying, IKEA, Much? And another person says, get a storage locker.
2: Yeah, that's not helpful. Then you just, I've done the storage locker. And then you leave stuff sitting in there for like a year or two, and you go back in, and then you clean up the storage locker, and you get rid of everything. I cleaned up my storage room this year, found three tents in there. want to be clear, I haven't been camping in about 11 years, <laughs> but I have three tents. Okay. Like, this is what happens when you have those spaces You do hoard for a bit. Yeah. Well,
1: you can let us know, 204-780-6868, and that's probably, I do have a storage locker right in the suite, and that's what's going to happen. I'm going to look at everything, and then I'm going to say, that's it, and all the boxes are going to go into the storage before I even open them, and I'm just going to leave them there, and I'll say, I'm going to go check into that tomorrow, and then tomorrow will come, and I'll say, I'm going to
2: do that next week. You know what? I'm going to send you my mother-in-law. Oh, She's great at this stuff. Really? Oh, she helped us move in, and I was sitting on the couch with a newborn, and she's like, what do you think for this, Lorraine? And I'm like, I don't care. Wherever you put it, I will be happy. And sure enough, like a decade later, every time I go to get stuff out, I'm like, thank you very much. (laughs) This was a good spot.
1: So we were asking for tips on how to get organized. I also need tips because I'm about to move into a new apartment, and I have no idea where to start. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about it is giving me anxiety. And I know that I have very little motivation for this kind of stuff. So tips are helpful. And I think they're not just for us, but for all of us, because sure. sometimes it can be overwhelming. How do I get organized? Where do I start?
2: Well, I don't think it's, it's you know, it's an issue for parents. The more people you have in your family, you start to feel like things are getting you know lost in the shuffle, but it, it doesn't matter how many people you are. If you live alone or you live with a roommate or you have a husband or wife or kids. You struggle with this, and so there's the physical tools, Brett, that you can get in your house, like someone might suggest, you know, a key holder or a chalkboard or a whiteboard or a magnet or things like that, but in this day and age, there's all the technology that you can use as well, and so we're going to have a couple guests on tomorrow to give us their tips, but... uh One listener just wrote in with a good one. He says, once my wife and I got married, we downloaded Time Tree. It's a calendar app that's paired with your spouse or any user. As soon as she adds an appointment or event, I see it and vice versa. You can even color code it. She's red, I'm green. And if it's blue, it involves us both. Definitely recommend.
1: That is a great idea if you're living with somebody because there's no way that you can expect somebody to remember everything, right? Like You, you can tell them. How many times have, uh, you, have you ever been told or have you ever said to somebody, oh, I, I, I told you this, I've absolutely. got this thing tonight.
2: How many fights do you think have started in any home with like, I absolutely straight up told you this last night that I would be home late tonight. And then you're fighting for something that's just completely silly. So either the physical calendar or again, in this day and age, when we're all carting around phones that store our various appointments and whatnot, why not have them synced up?
1: Yeah, I think that is a great idea, so thank you very much for that. Another person says, I just organize things as I do them. Example, I get up in the morning and go through a routine and make sure whatever I need is in part of that routine. Everything has its place according to my routine, and that's something that I've also, I think, never really gone out of my way to develop a routine because for all of my working life, I've generally worked shift work, and it was impossible to start a routine. Mm -hmm. And I think now that I've leveled off and actually have a relatively consistent schedule, it's uh, still kind of hard for me to develop a routine because I think just like by nature, I've sort of evolved into this sort of roaming nomad without a routine, if that makes sense. But
2: are you a person that thinks they don't have a routine, but then if someone comes along and inserts themselves in a certain way does it feel like your non-routine has been interrupted?
1: I can see that, yeah. I mean, I guess I have a couple of basic things. I always get up and take a shower no matter what. I can't, uh, I can't, th- that's my coffee. Yeah. I don't drink coffee, so a shower wakes me up. But outside of that I don't have like, I must do this first, I must do this, mm-hmm. I must do this, I must do this. Oh no, the routine's shattered, I'm discombobulated, my whole day's messed up.
2: Because mm-hmm. that's the thing for a lot of people, right? You get into the routine and then you can't adjust to it sometimes too because it becomes so important to you to do it a certain way. Like even just as simple as organizing. In your dishwasher or you know, people have their set ways, and if you get in a way in the way of that, suddenly it's like the whole day has just been ruined.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, when I'm at my dad's, I, I usually will either not put things in the dishwasher, or I will ask him where does this go <laughs> because I have put things in the dishwasher there before, only to d- later discover that he had since gone in and moved it. And that's fine. He's got he's figured out the best way to pack stuff into the dishwasher, uh, so I just kind of stay out of the way. Uh, somebody says, "I'm relieved." that both of you have great intentions but don't always follow through because I, too, am very organized at work. But when I get home, motivation slips away. That from Ginny. You can keep the text coming in, 204 780 or you can email mcnab at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com.